You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan White. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Today we return to Optic 2017 for two wonderful conversations with photographers who ply their trade on the road. But before we get started, we'd like to thank some listeners for leaving some kind comments on our iTunes page and encourage others to do the same. A big thanks to Paul F. McD, One Hand Drumming, Cricket 8684, Miss Owl, OG Roy and Mac T94, who took the time to leave comments, and for that we are eternally grateful. Jonathan Irish is an adventure and travel photographer who, along with his partner Stephanie Payne, spent 2016 crisscrossing the country in an Airstream trailer on an epic quest to photograph all 59 U.S. national parks. With Jonathan, we discussed the planning involved in traveling to so many widely dispersed locations, securing sponsorships, and the photographic aspects of the journey which he has dubbed the greatest American road trip. We follow Jonathan with a chat with Jillian Mann and Carla Trethruway, who are our wild abandon. And they, too, cruise the country in a trailer, but their journey started four years ago with a need just to get away, in their case, a respite from their native Vancouver. And like most great road trips, they suffered early setbacks, including a rollover accident and visa complications. But not willing to consider defeat, they persisted and have not only documented their experiences, but managed to develop successful photo careers along the way. Jason Tables joins in on this conversation as we speak with Jill and Kyla about how their Instagram grew into a popular feed and became a method to raise funds, eventually including branded content, and how they then made the transition to commission assignments and agency representation while maintaining their photographic vision of life on the road. Let's start with Jonathan. Jonathan Irish, and he's in the midst of a project which is really, really interesting, and it, uh, the name of it sums it all up, The Greatest American Road Trip. That's right. And what are you doing on this Great American Road Trip, which sounds pretty darn good? Greatest American. The greatest. The greatest. The greatest. <laughs> the greatest. Great. There is no... I, I think it should be the greatest darn American. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk later. Anyway, tell... I like that. We'll take that website out. Uh, the greatest road trip, in short, is, is a, an epic road trip last year to visit all 59 national parks in one year, in 52 weeks, to celebrate the centennial of the Park Service. Woo. In short. That's a big word. So... Take a minute and, you know, breathe that in because it's a... It's How a many big... rolls of film did you take? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> if I was still shooting film, yeah. It's amazing. We, I mean, we're shooting every day. The, end, the final number of images is somewhere around 330,000 images. Who's we? I, it was myself and my and my and my girlfriend as well. She oh, was the okay. she was the writer. I was the photographer and the logistics person on it. So so we did it together. And we did it in an airstream trailer. So we were cruising the Great American Roads in an airstream trailer. And it's a, uh, I saw a picture of its beauty. It's beautiful, yeah. And I can't stress how important enough it was to have that kind of consistency in a year of constant change to to have a place where you could go back and edit and you could sleep your clothes were there to, familiarity to familiarity was so key in that crazy year of, of who did, change who did most of the driving uh me okay yeah. <laughs> just to be honest <laughs> yeah so step us back a little bit uh, before the project became how, how did this come yeah, to how did it come being? about i mean were you doing ambitious, this already was this a brainchild that you had and you said who could i sell this to and uh, it, or were you approached exactly 
the, the national parks, the, the centennial of the national parks was coming up. 2016 was the centennial of the park service. So in, in early 2015, you know, I just, I knew this was coming up and I knew that I wanted to do something big for it. I, before this project, I had, I'd shot and um, probably half of the national parks. So they're sacred places for me already. I love the national parks. And, um, and so for, for this project, we decided to come up with a crazy idea. What if we could just see all of those national parks and shoot all of those national parks in one year? Is it, you know, think big, think crazy. Is it possible? And so you start to kind of think and work through it and you're like, um, you know, 59 parks, 52 weeks, you start to kind of work out the math. It's about one every six days and then you kind of... Then you have to figure in weather because oh, I, I used to do a lot of travel location oh, yeah. stuff and, and marathon shoots like this and you have to take a, there's a lot of logistics to go yeah. into this because you could show up to someplace and it's closed for the season. Oh, it's a huge, it's a huge logistical, you know, from seasonality perspective, as well as just getting to them, you know, in, in that time frame. So, um, some parks are really big, the Yosemite is the Yellowstone. Some parks are really small, the Congaree and the, you know, the, the Carlsbad Caverns. So you can do, you can steal days from some parks and add yeah. them to the next. And then, so once we figured out that the days work, we had to figure out the routing and seasonality. That's where seasonality really came into it. So the biggest, the biggest issue with seasonality was um, Alaska, right? Eight parks, they're hard to get to. You have to fly to every one of them. Well, that's kind of something I wanted to get at. I mean, did it become more about the project than about the photos? I mean, how could you keep the photography aspect alive when you're so yeah. busy getting to places and, and checking off boxes and the, you know dealing with the elements? That's a really good point. There is so much to this story that I don't know if I could ever fully explain in that way. I'll try, and, and that is, is that it was very important to highlight these parks in the best light possible. And the, the, the hardest thing on the project was not traveling these places. It wasn't, you know, all this. The hardest part was keeping a creative level up to a very high level nonstop. Usually when you go on a shoot, you, you know, you go for a week, you go for 10 days, you shoot your heart out, you come home, you decompress, you edit. We were, we were living in three constant dimensions. It was always the, the current park you're at. So you're, trying to shoot the heck out of this. You're up in the morning, you're, you're out early, you're, you know, you come home for lunch and you do some editing. So then when we come home, we were doing editing for the parks that we've already gone to, right? So, right. cause you're we have to constantly share that stuff up. And then, and then you always have to live in kind of that third dimension, which is the future. You, you know, we have to start planning the next park, the park after that. Cause if you don't get reservations in a lot of these places, you're screwed. So um, it was it was a constant juggling of current, past. Did you have any future. downtime along the way? I mean, one imagine, day. really, one day. We had one day downtime, and that was Stephanie, my partner's birthday. We took her birthday off in October and just did nothing. But there was that was the only time where we did nothing for the entire day, and it was. It was the hardest project I've ever done. It was incredible. Like getting I mean, through that one what day? What was me, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what do you mean there's nothing to do? <laughs> no, I, 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 start, now we I started talk, twitching. Right? I'm like, seriously, oh. one day out of the year. And, and, and again, that's intensive. I've done road shows. Oh, yeah. And that's mind-boggling to me. It really is. It, it's mind-boggling to me, and I did it. I mean, it's really, really hard. It was a lot of fun. I mean, like I said, woe is me. These places are 
gorgeous, you know. They're absolutely And is it complete the project? Where are you right now on the project? It's yeah, so we completed in um, December 31st is was the end of the project. So January no, 1st. end of the shooting? Were you still editing? Or? End of the shooting. I'm still editing. We're still pushing content okay. out. Um, and so we're, we're still in that process. But we... The, the goal was to visit the entire thing in 2016, and, and we did in that. One year. And we came in screeching to the final finish line, like <laughs> passing out. I mean, literally, like we were. Th we thought that the the New Year's would be like this time of celebration. Like, yeah, right, we right. did it. I, I just wanted to sleep for Where like were you? a Which week. Which park? Uh, was the last this one? was in. Um, I, it was Pinnacles, Pinnacles oh, in California, okay. which the is the most, one. the newest of the parks, yep, correct? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, wow. I know so. I once in, in many years ago in, in a long travels, I did 9,000 miles of driving in 29 days. I couldn't stand up straight for three weeks after oh, yeah, that. Yeah. My knees were bent and I was constantly holding a steering wheel that wasn't there. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was really weird. We, uh, we did 48,000 miles in a year. <sighs> 48,000. And I just, re I just read this thing not too recently about, um, or actually recently about, uh, someone got a world record for the longest road trip in a single country. And it was like 22,000 or something. I'm like, I've got that B by like double, <laughs> like where's Guinness? Child you know? play. <laughs> Child play. <laughs> yeah, no problem. How'd you guys divide the workload? It was pretty clear. Like we, we both have our talent. She's a gray writer. Um, I'm the photographer. She's also a great photographer as well. She, so she was always shooting her perspective. Um, I handled most of the logistics, most of that stuff. That's kind of my forte in that. Um, and, and so it was, it was pretty easy just to do that. And, you know, some days, I'd go out and shoot early morning. She'd stay home and write, or I, you know, vice versa. We we had that time to, you know, separate. So it was pretty easy actually to separate that stuff. I mean, you can't get too, you know, too crazy doing other stuff. You have to be very focused. That's probably one of the hardest things on that project is we're passing these amazing places like oh, Devil's Towers right there. I want to go. Shoot. No, you can't do. And yeah, you know, stay really focused. So. Something I, I, I would imagine that along the way you saw so much and it had to incubate projects for the future. Is it safe to assume that? It's very safe to assume that. In fact, in fact, um, I, you know, this was more of a test, more of a test in the form of long-term projects. I, I, I think more in kind of that long-form, long-term project. I, I really like that. I think. The, the followers that we had on this project were really engaged. And I mean, this is an entire year of posting, of sharing, yeah, and people right? were just really, yeah. really engaged. And for for me, like I, I think there's a, a real benefit to you know longer term projects. And this this was a test. I mean, this is was a full on test in that concept. I don't know if I'll do another full year project, maybe six or eight months or something, but. I want to do Did more the, of this. Did uh, the interaction with people and the posting and the, and the re responses you were getting kind of change things along the way? Or did it, you know what I'm saying? Did, did it give you any ideas or thoughts on how there, you could yeah, go forward? There were times where like people were like, well, we need more of the backstory. You know, it's like not all beautiful images or stuff like that. You know, tell us like, you know, how hard it is. You know, like yeah. they wanted that process. real yeah. process. Yeah. And oftentimes we, you know, do posts about you know, just how we're like managing the backside of all this, like the downloading the images and, you know, how you do it. People are really interested in the process of the project, not just the parks yeah. and the beautiful yeah. places. Did but your vision change along the way? I mean, I imagine you went out with a certain thing, how you want to portray things. As you were going through it and going through parks and seeing things, and so, did your approach to parks start to change when you, did you anticipate differently? 
or process what was going on differently? I, I, I don't think so. I think we were really dialed in the, the vision for the project. Okay. Um, what did change and what I think was interesting is that when you start to visit all these parks, you start to like, in, in a weird way, I don't, I don't know if I can fully explain it, but you start to kind of elevate above the park and see them as like a whole system, mm -hmm. like all the parks. The bigger yeah. picture. So we started to, yeah, the bigger picture. We started to like collect these things in the parks, like, you know, road shots and signs yeah. that, that right. you find in all the parks, but they also say something about the park. So in my talk that's the that continuity I'm giving, between them all. Exactly. You know, textures in parks and how to get that and how they're different and how they're similar. We really started to, you know, look at it from a holistic basis versus just a, a per park basis. And how much experience with the parks had you had prior? Quite a bit. I mean, as I said, I've 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 been in half of them. I've shot out an assignment and probably 10 or 12 of them. So I'm very familiar. Uh, I'm a little bit worried that I'm becoming the park, national okay. park guy. Yeah. I mean, after a year of such beauty, I need something like really gritty to shoot now. Like mm -hmm. I need something dirty and gritty mm -hmm. or something. Like it's just too much beauty for well, anyone. Me, this is something year, I, I wanted to get at earlier and, and we did a bit, but with the, given the fact that you are doing so many things in such a relatively short period of time, was the goal beauty shots is you had to get at least a couple beauty shots in and then the rest maybe you'd get the signs and the texture and other things here on the side or after a while you're like i can't do any more you know mountains with clouds no it was it was it was all the above we always wanted to tick off the box i mean the first two days were were you know where are the iconic sites where are people going what's popular and so we those were easy scores we just hit those and then it's like the next three, four, five, six days, it's like, okay, what, what can we do to get off the grid? Go backpacking, go hiking. You know, what's the longest, hardest hike we can do? I mean, if we're in the Grand Canyon, hike to the bottom and stay in the bottom. I mean, that's, that's, that's where, you know, that's a different side of the park. There's millions of visitors at the top. They don't get down below the rim. Um, some parks, there's places where people don't even go or don't even know about the sections. So we always showed those places that are beautiful that everyone wants to go, but also try to enlighten them on some new places in the park and to really do a deep dive. That, that was the goal of, of every park is to, is to dive as deep as you could. Right There's on. a couple of things we need to touch on and hopefully we'll have time, but what's your gear setup? Let's start with that. Yeah. What would you shoot? And did you find yourself kind of changing lenses and, and focal lengths uh, as you went through the project or yeah. experimenting? I, I'm a, I'm a Fujifilm X photographer. So, um, uh, I shoot Fujifilm and I love Fujifilm. They're great. Uh, I will say that they were they were the they were instrumental in making this happen. I, I, the products are incredible, but the, the the ability for for this company to see projects like this, I mean, they basically said send me an invoice, and I was like, oh, okay, now we're we're on, so we're doing it. Was amazing, and um, so I shoot the Fujifilm XT1 and XT2 and. Um, I love those cameras and then also the lenses. I, I change lenses. I mean, my, my standard is to have two bodies and have a wide angle zoom, uh, you know, a, a 24 to 70 mm -hmm. equivalent, equivalent basically. And then uh, like a 100 to 400. So I was always ready for, you know, whatever was going on. And that's, that's basically how I worked. I have, I have some prime lenses. I have a 14 millimeter that I love. I've got, um, you know, a 35 millimeter that's great. So I, you know, depending on the situation, I would switch. But yeah, the whole most of the time it was a wide zoom and a long zoom. And you're satisfied with the Fuji lenses now? I mean, it's, you know, their roadmap is, they're filling it in now. 
but you're pretty. They're filling in beautifully. In fact, that 100 to 400 came yeah. out just as I had left, and I was so happy to get it because it's got some real reach on it. I mean, it's a really nice lens, and I I, I was a Canon shooter before this, and uh, I think their lenses are as sharp and as beautiful, if not more, as as the Canon, the famous Canon glass. So, and so the Fuji was behind you and who else? Yep, so we have Fujifilm as a major sponsor. Uh, National Geographic was the also another sponsor. I've been part of them for, you know, the family of National Geographic for nine or ten years. Um, we had uh, Airstream. Airstream provided a trailer for us to use. A beautiful was, one. But uh, then we had a lot of state tourism boards that supported the project. Um, Montana is one, South Dakota. So they were interested in getting some images from It was all parks. for images. I mean, it was a trade for images, basically. Basically, yeah. exactly. And, and some Instagram posts and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, and then a few product companies like Lassie and... Um, think tank and you know places like that so, so we had, a lot, of we had a lot of support and it was really important for us to take a little bit less on the front end because this is this was our project so we pitched this project as you know everyone had kind of what their part in it was but also um, this is our project and so I you know we own the project we own the images and now and now we're going to you know, make a book from it and, you know, and do all that. So it was important for us to own the project, even though we had a lot of spawn, great sponsors. This is sponsors. a project that can last your lifetime too, right? I mean, yeah. you can you can do things with it forever, right? Yeah. I mean, you yep. know, why not? I mean, so, so exactly. something that's contained like that, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's the beginning and the end. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's great. And how much time before you even hit the road did you spend doing this organization and getting things together? It was almost a year. Another year. I mean, it was almost a year. It was, it was basically early 2015. We're like, hey, this is a crazy idea. Then you start to think of it, you know, by April or so, you start to think, yeah, I could actually do it. And then, you know, we, I think we, we locked it in as a, as a go, probably, I don't know, August as like, okay, you know, this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then, and then from there, it was just like planning. And, you know, we lived in DC, we own a house, you have to like rent that. I mean, like I've moved like four times in the past year, just because you move in, you move out, you change. I mean, it's been a year of crazy change, but not a bad, not a bad at all. at all. Doesn't sound like it to me. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys. Yeah. Good to thank be you. here. Thank Appreciate you. it. All right. Yep. We'll Appreciate be back with more. Okay, we are back at Optic 2017, and we are here with, I would say, the most talked about act of this year's show, okay? <laughs> we are with Jillian Mann and Kyla Trithui. Now, I unfortunately, your talk was amazing. I've looked at your Instagram feed and your site and everything else, and everyone's talking about it. Now, but from what I understand, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you guys travel the world, you're supporting yourself by robbing convenience stores and gas stations, <laughs> and you're just taking pictures and telling stories along the way. Is that, is that it, or do I have it wrong? No, you got it perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, what are you guys doing, and how did you get there? Did you, I mean, you, you guys just travel the world in adventures, and you got a zillion people following you, and, and people lining up and throwing suitcases of cash out you're saying we want more right <laughs> okay something along those lines Pretty much, but yeah. you, how about putting it into your own words though um i think at, you know at its core what we did is we started this road trip and somehow it hasn't ended um and we live in a trailer and we've been traveling full time and we make our way on the road by you know taking photography jobs so i think that's the simplest way of putting it who planted these seeds and how did how did it get there how did this come to be I mean, a lot of people have taken road trips, but this is a hell of a road trip you've taken. <laughs> it's 
a long one. <laughs> um, I think it almost happened by accident, and maybe not by accident, but definitely unintentionally, because we we started by taking photos for ourselves just to have together, and we were both posting them on our own Instagram feeds and doubling up, and our family and friends were like, okay, guys, just cool it. Choose who's, who's picking the photo and put it up so I have to see it twice, and then we decided to start funneling them to one place. So Which we, is our wild abandon. Yeah, right? so we, we, we started that. our wild abandon, um, the Instagram account and, and blog then, and at all of a sudden... And this is how long ago? This was four years ago this August. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it picked up steam pretty quickly, and people all of a sudden were following us, and we were sharing more photos every day and documenting this trip, and it, it really just spiraled into you know, working with brands and, and working outside of the app and, and actually working as photographers. So... When you say you you were on you know going on a road trip and and documenting the road trip, what was documenting a road trip? Pictures of yourselves. I mean, you had, did you have any kind of photographic ideas ahead of time? Um, I went to school to be a photographer. Mm-hmm. I that was kind of my career path. That's what I wanted to do. Um, but I was really unsuccessful at it. I was working, um, doing kind of modeling test shoots and fashion type stuff not making a lot of money. Um, I also had a day job working at a restaurant. It wasn't, I wasn't supporting myself off of it. Um, so I didn't just like stumble into photography. It's always been my biggest passion. Um, but I think the work that I create now is a lot different than what I ever imagined myself doing. Does it feel better? Does it feel more like what you, you should be doing? Yeah. Um, I, I think the work that I create now is kind of just what I was always doing for myself on a personal level, but I've been able to kind of transform it into commercial work without having to change my aesthetic too much, which is a really nice feeling. Um, And the road trip itself, you know, that was never meant to be a a photo journey. We never said, hey, let's let's go out and take a bunch of photos. Um, It was quite the opposite of that, actually, because I quit my job to take the trip, and I, I really never wanted to take another photo again. <laughs> um, it was kind of just to get away. Right? Yeah. To kind of was, go on a trip. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was, it was really the opposite of a career building move and it just kind of became one. How did you guys hook up together? Did you, do you know each other for a long time or? We met eight year, eight or nine years ago. Now our boyfriends at the time were best friends. They played in a band together. And so we met through them and we didn't, initially become friends. Um, We were in those relationships for four years, but during that time we were just kind of polite with one another. We were just acquaintances. (laughs) I wish wish everyone listening to this could see the little eyeballs running back and forth. The the, the facial expressions here are great. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah, we had been, you know, spending all this time together, but never actually connected. And literally the first night we hung out on our own is when we hatched this plant. It was kind of time for a change, right? Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And where, where are you based at this point in time? Where Vancouver. Ah, okay. okay. Mm-hmm. So you hit the road? Yeah, we hit the road. Um, and at that time, the plan was to do about two months. That's how much money we had imagined that we had. <laughs> um, and that's kind of... Is it safe to assume it, did, it didn't last two months? <laughs> Surprise. It did not. Well, oh, it wow, didn't, have- it didn't. It lasted... We ran out, but then we got more, and it lasted longer. We lasted six months on the road. Um, so just from selling postcard prints and kind of being very frugal. Extremely frugal. Um, Eating so postcard prints. We ate the postcards. <laughs> yeah. the ones we, we dressed in the postcards. 
Um. <laughs> and the idea of selling the postcards prints was part of it from the beginning, or maybe just an idea, or no, we we actually had a terrible breakdown, like so bad that we seized our engine, okay, which is the worst thing you can sure. do to a car, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't see a way of going home other than just flying home Where and leaving you? the trailer. Um, Moab, Utah. We okay. were <laughs> we were broken down so badly that they didn't even tow us to a repair shop. They took us directly to a wreck yard. Right. So. <laughs> We knew it was bad. Um, And then at that point, we kind of hatched this plan. You know, the photos had been picking up all this traction, and we were getting this following, and we'd been creating this whole body of work. Instagram mostly, or the blog, or or Um, It was being published mostly on Instagram, because at that point, we weren't really doing this that intentionally. It was just this journey that we were taking and and this work we were creating together. Um, And so we decided to sell our prints um, on our web and on our website through a web store. But we were promoting that through Instagram and within our community online. And we actually ended up making enough to fix the engine and and enough to keep going, which is how we were able to get on the road again and spend all that time. And then uh, we would have kept going, but we were Canadian, so we could only be in the U.S. for 182 days of the year. So you had to go back and touch your Yeah, Yeah, So we got kicked on out of there. Well, let me ask a couple things. First of all, did did your Instagram following grow a lot during the road trip, or did you already have kind of substantial followings, and and who was buying the postcards, and... and And who was making the postcodes? Did you have a printer with you or something? (laughs) No, seriously, I mean... You saying making um, postcards? Where they come from? Um, we ordered them. We ordered them from a company called Moo. Uh-huh. Uh, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, we had to pre-sell them because we didn't have enough money to <laughs> print and sell <laughs> print and mail. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we just got them shipped to ourselves in the junkyard and mailed them out from there. So these guys were nice enough to let us live in in the junkyard oh, for a, a week or so. And why not uh, road trip through Canada? Um. I think we both, at a really young age, become became really enamored with the American landscape. The idea of a, so that American road trip, yeah. Um, also the weather, yeah. And there are all these cities down here that you can really get to. And in Canada, it's so beautiful, but everything's really far apart. Okay, so maybe we can jump ahead a little bit. Between where we are now and that first road trip, a lot of small and big things happened. You know, we had immigration issues. We had periods where we weren't getting enough work, and we were juggling these day jobs with the travel jobs and. There's a lot of weird stuff happening at that point, trying to, you know, balance this life of travel photography and then also working minimum wage jobs because we couldn't take jobs that required us to really be around all the time. Um, we so were, you knew, though, that, that this was something you wanted to continue doing. Yeah, yeah. and that's why we, we did it that way. You know, we didn't want to give up yet, but it wasn't just, it didn't just happen all of a sudden after the, that first trip. They weren't, it didn't just happen for us. So it took a lot of effort. Um, and then when we did finally settle... You know, we got enough assignments, we got our immigration sorted, we had our trailer back, we were ready to go. Um, The first week we were on the road, we were in a rollover accident, so we lost our truck, our trailer, everything we owned. Um, We'd given up the apartment we were renting, so there was a lot in there. That was a really hard time for us, but it also kind of became this time where we were like, okay, is this what we want to be doing? Should we keep going? We didn't fully realize this full-time job full-time travel lifestyle that we had wanted for so long. So we kind of saw it as a sign maybe we should give up at first. And then we decided absolutely no way that was going to happen. So that's when we um, went home and bought this new trailer that we live in now. And well, it's not new. It's like 50 years old. But so this is our new home. And we've been on the road now for over a year. And were you guys getting support or at least enough support from 
in, in the in the photography other than you know Instagram likes and, and comments, but were you getting job offers or? So we were getting pretty consistent job offers. Um, it's actually really nice to talk about this stuff because we didn't really share any of this as it was going on. We kind of maintained this uh, presence on social media as if we were traveling all the time, but you know that was carefully constructed by really spreading these photos out because a, a lot of the time, you know, we would go for a month or so without having any travel work and we would be stuck in Vancouver uh, working. I worked at a restaurant and Kyla was a personal assistant. And so we supplemented our income doing that. Over that year, it was, it was consistent, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite because there's two of us, right? So, yeah. um, so you need a lot of money to yeah, keep, to keep twice as many mouths yeah. to feed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very expensive taste. And what kind of what kind of jobs were you getting? Was it uh, they were mostly travel-based jobs? Yeah, yeah tourism yeah. boards, um, travel Magazine agencies. Agent. Okay. Um, Sending you places or all part of like a road trip type of? Thing? Yeah, they would send us to places. Um, they would always want us to capture it in a way that felt like a road trip, even if it wasn't one, though, you know. They wanted us to to kind of capture images of that destination in the way that we see things. So, you know, this, like, freedom mm-hmm. um, kind of sense How's of that? discovery. I mean, I mean, I heard you say yesterday that you were asked to kind of re-photograph some of your content, uh, which it, it may be kind of totally antipathetic to what you're really doing right because the idea of a road trip is freedom and you know exploring and here is someone to ask asking you to go ahead and do the same thing again but do it for us right yeah did you ever say why don't you just use the shot that we already had or was it fun to have that opportunity to go back and do it again and get paid for it um it's i mean it's always nice to make money for sure Mm -hmm. You know, they never, we were never asked to, you know, recreate, specifically recreate a shot, but more just the kind of overall aesthetic and that feeling, because I think a lot of brands, um, you know, kind of love to capitalize on that uh, young aesthetic, um, the the freedom and the, that kind of feeling, but it's hard to actually create that without living it. Um, I think too, though, a big part of that is, is we all of this this body of work and the freedom and all that stuff is really it's what we like to shoot and that's what our personal work looks like so it is a huge compliment when brands do come to us asking to you know not recreate the, these images but to to they rely on our aesthetic and they trust us so you know if it's a like-minded brand and they understand our vision and they they're okay with it and they give us this latitude and this freedom um, on the creative side, it's it's actually great. But it's when we are approached by brands that say, okay, you know, we love what you're doing, but can you insert your this product we're trying to sell like overtly in this image? And it's not something you'll use. It's not something you're happy to promote. It's not, you know, an ethical thing. Um, but just, we'll just pay you for it. And, you know, obviously that's not going to go over well. We're not going to like the images we create. It's not going to feel good. Um, so I think it really depends on where it's coming from and their intent with what they want from us. Yeah, and that's the the difference with creating branded content versus creating an image and then sending it away. You know, your hands are off of it. Um, when you're when you're sharing it on your own social feeds, you're personally attached to it. Your name is right on it, and so you know you can't just walk away. <laughs> yeah, and you have <laughs> you have this, to kind of believe in what you're promoting. Yeah, and and if you are promoting something on your social feed, you know you, you have this audience and they trust you and they trust you. You know, 
they wouldn't want you to lie to them and say, okay, this is a great product, you should buy it. Um, I, I'm obviously not happy with this image, but I'm sharing it anyways. You know, there's like this inauthentic um, way of doing that, and I think people see through it immediately. So I don't think it's beneficial for brands anyways. And were, they all, were the jobs often, did they ask you then to put it on your feed? I mean, was that always part of it? Or um, did they always... Or I think that's a lot of how we started monetizing yeah. what we're doing. And it's been really great for us. And it's been really fun because we have been able to work with really cool brands. Um, but I would, like in just in the last year, 70% of our work at least has been removed from Instagram. So using Instagram as a tool to, to get the, this branded work is great and, and expanding our portfolio and shooting more personal work. But really the end goal is to pursue more traditional photography right. jobs and, and build something that sustains itself outside of an app. Right. We have been approached by brands that will say, okay, we'll pay you to do this product shot. It doesn't need to be a beautiful photo. Just make sure you're in it, you know, endorsing this product. And, it, and I think that's when the word influencer gets tossed around. You know, you're being hired for your social reach and this ability you have to, to have this voice with directly to your audience. And that feels disgusting. <laughs> You know, we're artists, we want to create beautiful work and we want to do it with a true voice and an authentic voice. So, you know, I think what's when people misunderstand us and they think, okay, you guys are you guys are social media influencers, like you're Instagram famous, it's like, well no, we're photographers and we create work and sometimes people will ask us to post that on our feed. We're not, you know, it's just it's totally different than those social media celebrities that can post a front camera selfie holding a product and, and then endorse it. You know, like our work stands alone. Our work can be in print campaigns and digital campaigns and, and without us in it, without having to be attached to it in a personal way. Um, what are some of the companies you've worked with in the past year or so? We've shot two campaigns for Google in the last year and those were standalone print campaigns and digital campaigns. Um, and then we just did a video for Samsung. Oh, a really exciting job. We did a behind the scenes shoot for Nature Valley, kind of in tandem with um, a rebrand that they were doing, which was fun. And are you guys? We work with Kia. Yeah. Um, we did. We just got back from Oahu last week. We were working yeah, for the, the tourism, tourism board. board. Um, we spent February working for the New Orleans Tourism Board, documenting the Mardi Gras tra traditions, which was really fun. And but you guys are separate from this. You're not part. You're not personalities in these things. You're the photographers who are hired to do this work. And did you have to kind of make that break? I mean, was it something you had to kind of point out to, to people? You have to kind of, yeah, you have to advocate for yourself a right. little bit. You said, enough of this, this is what we're doing now, and maybe and turn down a couple jobs along the way, and, and then... Yeah. Well, we're not, we're still doing both. Mm -hmm. I think it's more of just making sure that we're not concentrating on just getting the branded work, or really, we're not focusing on getting that branded work at all, but if it comes to us and it's relevant and it's kind of exciting, we'll work on it but really just expanding our portfolio and diversifying and, and getting more experience in, in more traditional media. I just yeah, had a question yeah. real quick. You say it's not like the kind of influencer stuff where, you know, it's a picture of, you know, a model holding a Versace purse or something like that. What does tasteful influencer stuff look like? So one of the first jobs we did that was branded content was actually for HTC phones. And that was simple. You know, they were launching a new phone with a great camera. So they actually wanted us to shoot some mobile work for them and talk about the work we were creating and how we created it using this new phone. So that fit, you know, if you look at the grid, you wouldn't be able to find out wh what photo that was, you know. But if you, you know, read the caption, you say, oh, this was accomplished by using a mobile phone. This has a great camera. These girls are using it. I'm seeing real life examples and they're talking about, you know, their use. So 
stuff like that makes perfect sense. And projects like that are great. And we feel good about it because it's kind of fun to, to work with a new tool and, and create work for this brand and, and tell people about it. So in those posts, you would, you would, you'd have the brand name in the caption. Yeah. You'd say, yeah, we, we use such and such camera to yeah. shoot this. Yeah. Got it. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And it, it worked really well because so many people ask us what we shoot with anyways, you know, so it was nice to be able to share those images and talk about, this is a tool that we're using right now. We're really happy with this aspect of it. Um, and it had, you know, full manual controls so we could talk about that and kind of go behind the scenes a little bit. And that just fits in seamlessly with the work that we're already creating. We've never done really anything that's just product placement based. And the image though that you used for that, was that, did you have the final decision on the image? Or yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had full freedom. We did, I think 16 of them in mm -hmm. total yeah, over a few months. Yeah, that was a big one. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, some brands come with you with really loose parameters. You know, they say, we just really love your aesthetic. Yeah. If you could create something that has kind of on theme, but totally yeah. run with it. Yeah. Um, that's the best part about, you know, working with branded content. As much as it, it kind of feels weird doing all the stuff being associated with your Instagram following, you do get to create this, this branded work that's really fun and that you have this trust um, from your client. So, the you work know. we did for Kia, we didn't even show a vehicle in it at all. It was just capturing kind of the spirit of the open road and that kind of thing. So it's subtle, um, but but most of the value I think in branded content kind of comes from our our point of view and the trust that we've built with the followers. So we can talk about these things in the caption and kind yeah. of. Have you gotten any negative feedback from some of your followers regarding yes. this yeah, stuff? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah is it is this weird thing though because then you get called, you know, then you're selling out, right? And. And, uh, I hate that concept. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's not fair. It's I'm really sorry. It's really frustrating because I think, you know, our response is usually like, if you want to see like these photos of us, you know, living on the road, like we have to fund that somehow and we can't work you at have Burger to King. Eat. So, exactly. Yeah. That's the whole, I think it's not fair. I think the response we almost always give is someone says something negative about it. We say, hey, um, you know, it's been our dream to be photographers for a really long time and, and we're really grateful we get to create the work that we do you know and I think people somehow almost forget they're looking at a photographer on Instagram yeah, and that, yeah. that is the goal and that's what you know they're like oh I like this image I wonder why because a photographer you know took it with intention I am realizing my dream by actually making this ad this is a dream realized and you've watched that happen over this road trip and part of this created creating branded content is actually part of it we're really lucky too. We're represented by an agency that kind of focuses on social media photographers, but but very specifically photographers. Mm -hmm. um, they don't represent any, you know, just influencers or personalities. It's everyone on the agency is is an artist and creates beautiful work. And our agent is really wonderful at, you know, fighting for us on our behalf and just stressing the the importance of. At the end of the day, we're here to create art and not you know, hawk product. Yeah. Can you mention the name? Yeah, it's yeah. Tinker Street. It's a wonderful... Tinker agency. Street. Okay. Tinker yeah. Street. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. Are, are you guys always approached together as a team? And have you guys decided that it's always going to be a team? Or do they say, listen, we, we only need one photographer for this, this shoot, so just send um, one of you or the other? Or do you guys work together always? Whenever they suggest that it's just one of us, the both of us just end up going anyway. <laughs> one of us always gets to assist, and right. yeah, yeah, we just did a job like that where they only needed one person, and so we just like worked together anyways, anyway. and because yeah. um, we're just so comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Um, they gave us a budget to hire an assistant anyway, so I'm like, great, yeah, we have we a built-in one. Right. This is wonderful. Right. Right. Um, well, that's great. 
Yeah. That's interesting. And uh, can we talk gear a little bit? What did you guys start shooting with? And when things got good, what did you upgrade to? <laughs> um, I have shot with Canon 5D my entire life okay. as a photographer. Mm -hmm. um, so I started with the Mark I. Mm -hmm. uh, on our first trip, we had just the one Canon Mark I yeah. with a 50 millimeter, the you know, $100 plastic. Mm -hmm. Nifty 50. Yep. 50 yeah. 51.8. Yep. And, you know... Bless that lens. I still love it. I yeah. really do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, as we upgraded, I've just kind of made my way through the the 5D series. I really love that camera. Mm -hmm. I'm stuck on it. Mm -hmm. um, to the 4? Yeah. We're about or? to get the 4. I just rented it for the last job that we did, and I loved it so much. You said, you you know, you started as a photographer. Is it the same for you? Or no. Not really? No. no, not really at okay. all. I studied art history and aviation, and I always loved taking photos, and I think I... I knew how to compose a photo, but I did not understand the technical parts of, of you know, actually having, creating an image. So I had a point and shoot and I did some instant film stuff. Um, and then when we started traveling, you know, Jill, I would try to take an image and Jill's like, oh, if you just do this, there, there you got it. And so that sort of, sort of spiraled. So, um, I'm not, I'm not self-taught, I'm Jill-taught. <laughs> well said. Um, so it was great because I feel like I had a point of view and I had... I knew what I wanted to work with and what I wanted to create. And so, you know, very quickly with Jill's help, we were able to kind of focus that and focus my intent. And I learned a lot in a short time. And, you know, I went from not really taking photos in a serious way to, to taking photos every single day for four years. But life is on the road. I mean, do you really have no home base at this yeah, point? Yeah, we don't. I get my mail sent to my parents' house. Okay. All right. When's the last time you were back in Vancouver? It's been over a year. Really? Yeah, so oh, we're going wow. home this summer okay. to visit, see everyone. And it's job to job. That's the way it's working. You're not working your way east or working your way west at any one point. It's where the, um, the next phone call we, comes from? We kind of move according to whatever job's coming up and also the weather. We don't like to be too warm or too cold. <laughs> <laughs> is, what, about, what about the 180-day limitation with visas? Is that still an issue? Would no, you have to... we, we're full-time here in artist, on artist visas. Oh, an artist visa, that's interesting. How long is that good for? Um, I'm actually an alien of extraordinary ability. Um, Right, that is a great title. That's from your government. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love that. That's wonderful. Yeah, so it's an initial three years and then renewable forever. So cool. I think Justin Bieber has one as well. <laughs> oh, then one. it's not such a cool idea. Then <laughs> I tell you, that, that, we, wanna, we have to revisit that law. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much for coming. So again, if uh, people want to catch up on your work, they should go to, what's the sites to go to? Ourwildabandon.com. Mm -hmm. And our Instagram is ourwildabandoned. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank Great talking. You. Thanks, guys. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we return. We're going to continue with our ongoing series, Dispatch, with Adrian O'Hanison. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. Adrian O'Hanison is an accomplished freelance photojournalist based in Kenya and covering stories in South Sudan, Somalia, and East Africa. And in this segment, she discusses her attempt to return to war-torn South Sudan, new approaches to fund long-term stories, assignments in Nairobi and Congo, and an update on the plight of four-year-old Mohammed, who is stuck in Kenya, trying to reunite with his mother in the United States. I think last time I mentioned... I was working on getting back into South Sudan, and this is a place that I've reported 
on and reported in since 2010. It's kind of where everything started for me. And so I've continued to work there and was looking forward to going back. So we had gone through um, a big process with the Wall Street Journal with a colleague of mine, the East Africa correspondent, to get in and do a big story. And we had weeks of planning and phone calls, Skype meetings with some NGOs that work in the country, trying to set everything up, trying to work on flights to get uh, to some of the more hard-to-reach locations. And we put our passports in to get our visas. Actually, to be honest, we didn't even get to the point of applying for the visa. You have to apply for a media accreditation before the visa. And we were both rejected um, from inside the country. So the media authority, I guess, looked supposedly looked at our past reporting from South Sudan and said, basically, because of what you've done here in the past, we can no longer give you the proper accreditation to work here. And therefore, you can't apply for a visa at all. Um, so that was really upsetting. And that's also frustrating as a freelancer because you block off chunks of time. So there were a couple of weeks where I was working on, on putting the project together. But then there were a couple of weeks I'd reserved for actually traveling into the country. So all of a sudden, everything kind of collapses. And that's um, that's always tough. I've been working in the region a long time. I, I'm in Kenya now, but South Sudan was one of my main places I I cover. So that was quite a blow for me to think, okay, wait, so I can't go back to one of the main locations. And then what if other clients find out that I can no longer work in a place that, you know, I kind of was not known for, but people knew I was familiar with the area. So I would often get assignments to go into South Sudan. And all of a sudden they're saying, I can't go back anymore. So I think the reason that we were not allowed back into South Sudan was because of a reporting trip we did last, well, I was there July and part of August last year in South Sudan. So the violence broke out again um, in July last year, almost exactly a year ago, actually. And I had tried to get in immediately after that um, fighting broke out in the capital. And this was funny, actually. You always hear about these things happening in Africa, and it, they rarely do, but when they do happen, it's quite funny. So I was able to hop on a chartered plane that I obviously didn't charter. It was chartered by someone who owns a hotel in Juba in South Sudan. And so I was able to kind of hop on this chartered airplane, and I was the only passenger. It was two pilots and just boxes of frozen fish fillets and quite a large sum of U.S. dollars. And that's how I got into the country. Um, I hope it's not the last time I'll go in, but that's how I flew in because the commercial flights uh, were just unreliable. They kept shutting the airport, opening the airport. So there weren't any consistent flights going in. All of the flights that were going in were really expensive. So I managed to hop on this charter. And part of the reason I had gone in was there was an attack on, it, it basically functions like a hotel, but I guess you could say it's a compound of more or less apartments for people who work in the capital city. 
it's nice that there isn't much to do in Juba. There aren't a lot of activities. You don't spend a lot of time out and about in the city. So it's important to have a nice place to relax. And there's a pool and a gym and I think maybe the only squash court in Juba, but quite a high-end place to live. And this place had been attacked. It had been overrun by soldiers. Actually, I was I was the only one to access this compound um, purely because I knew I knew the manager, and uh, I think they trusted me with the material. And actually, now soldiers have been court-martialed and are being tried in in South Sudan. So this was another reason I wanted to go back into the capital is because I had documented the aftermath of this attack um, on this hotel compound, for lack of a better word. And so I, I wanted to actually attend these trials to see what would happen to some of the soldiers that they thought might be guilty. But at this point, it appears that I can't go back into South Sudan. So that was quite frustrating for me. But we'll see what happens so far. I'm not just the only one. There have been about 20 international journalists, um, all of whom have worked in the country before. And I think that my terrain camp reporting, um, which was attacked by government soldiers, uh, might be part of that reason. Uh, The second reason was the Wall Street Journal story that uh, I did, which, again, was we know... (laughs) It was government soldiers who really ransacked, looted um, a World Food Program compound. So that was a massive warehouse complex that stored a lot of food, and that was attacked by government soldiers. So so the story that we did really focused on impunity and how basically the government has very little control over its forces, if any. And when something does occur, whether it's looting or destruction of property or murder or gang rape, uh, there seems to be very little repercussion for that. And so those stories probably weren't uh, very popular in the government's uh, mind. Uh, So those are probably some of the reasons that I could no longer get my media accreditation and therefore my visa. Sometimes it's just hard to remember that these are all little pieces of being a photographer because if I'm, if I'm writing grants or I'm researching or even just emailing to reach out to people and say, are you in this region? What's it like? How is it to operate? Um, sometimes I just tend to forget that this is part of the work also. I think I much rather just be running around all of the time with a camera photographing um, and instead of sitting and stopping and thinking and planning. So it's, it's hard to remind myself of this, that I guess just to be patient with these things, I think I've become less patient. Uh, I don't know why, but you know, maybe it's because you have all of these ideas. So I can make a full list page list of things I want to photograph, projects I want to do, ideas that I have. And it's like, okay, where is number one? How do we do this one? How do we do this one? How can I get funding for this job? And you just want to go shoot these things, but there's so many things in the way, or it feels like there are so many things in the way. And again, part of that is because there are hostile environments and you need to really, things need to be planned out. Things need to be secure. The funding needs to come through all of that. Um, But I just need to remind myself that, okay, all of this kind of side work leads to the photography part. 
This past month, I spent a bit more time in Nairobi than I had originally intended. But what I did end up doing this last month is a series of small assignments for the New York Times. And this was really nice, actually. It was nice to wake up at home, go out, photograph, come home at night, edit, eat dinner, sit down at a, a table and have a meal. That was, <laughs> that was uh, rare for me. So I really enjoyed that. Um, and it was, it was a series of smallish assignments, some on, one on solar, one on Uber, quite a cool one that I really liked that was uh, about the Indian community in Kenya, more or less just about how, how long the community has been there. Um, many Indian families came over when Kenya was still British and, you know, they worked on the railroads, um, but now really are our prominent part of uh, Nairobi, the Kenyan coast, very large business owners. Um, and actually the area I live in in Nairobi is, I would say, predominantly Kenyan Indian. Um, so this story was about, you know, should these people be recognized as another Kenyan tribe? And people were really, um, I, I just had a lot of opinion, different opinions on this. Um, but what was great about it is I, I got to spend a lot of time with the community there. So I just, <laughs> I just literally walked into some of the temples and got to eat some beautiful food, uh, walked around some of the shopping centers. Uh, it's just a community. I just, I just never would have done that before. I guess I'd, I'd never visited some of the largest temples in Nairobi. I just wanted to go back very briefly to the Mohammed story because we found out recently that his final steps in getting refugee status in Kenya have come through. And so Mohammed will actually be joining his mother in the U.S., which is really exciting. And another great little piece of that is because of our story that we did on him, there was an organization that uh, kind of stepped forward and said, if, if he does get refugee status and then can relocate to the States will help fund his trip. Uh, so that's really exciting. So I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, I think we're going to try to do, if it's not me, there'll be another writer, maybe the writer who did the U.S. section of the piece who will work on this. So I'm kind of looking forward to see, seeing if he's reunited with his mother in the near future. The next trip will be to Congo, I think. Maybe the second week in July is the plan now for about two weeks. This is a project I'd been working on um, with Klaus Van Dyken, who was uh, the journalist that uh, I went with into Darfur a couple of years ago. We've done a few projects in Sudan, and this is something new. So this will be a collaboration between Dutch media company that he runs. Um, I'll just be doing some of the photography It'll be a combination of text, photo, video, and yeah, it's going to focus a bit on poaching, um, some of the illegal mining that's happening. Uh, the plan is to do three trips over the next six months, I believe. Please don't get scared and, and pull funding last minute. I'm a little, I don't know, paranoid now that uh, more things are going to fall through because they have been recently. But um, it seems like this trip to Congo is a go, so... We'll see what happens. 10 days on the ground in Congo. Never been before. My French is horrific. What could go wrong? 
So that's a wrap on another fine show. Thanks to our guests, Jonathan Irish, Jillian Mann, Kyle Chathruway, and Adrian O'Hanison. And thanks, as always, to John Harris, Jason Tables, and on behalf of all of us at D&H, thank you so much for tuning in today.